I hope the series on Isaiah has been a blessing to you. Again, as we've seen in previous weeks, there's a lot of meaty, meaty verses here that I pray will be encouraging to you and will build up your faith and help you to grow in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 32. Feel free to read out loud at home or in your car. Isaiah chapter 32, starting with verse 9. Isaiah 32, beginning with verse 9. Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall ye be troubled, ye careless women. For the vintage shall fail, the gathering shall not come. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, ye careless ones. Strip you and make you bare, and gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the teats, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous city. Because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the cities shall be left, the forts and towers shall be for dens forever, of joy of wild asses, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be counted for a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Father, we thank you this morning that we have the privilege to assemble in this parking lot. Thank you for making possible through our, our good relationship we have with the people here at 2950 Merced Street, that they've been so gracious to let us meet here. We thank you, Lord, for this location. We thank you for our church buildings. We pray for, the, uh, for God, your, your guidance and leading and help us to reassemble soon back in person. And we're praying in a powerful way that you would meet with us. We know that, God, you are greater than everything going on. You're greater than a pandemic. You're greater than a COVID-19 disease. You're greater than our insecurities. You're greater than all of our fears. Lord, you're greater than our powerlessness. And we confess this morning being weak and powerless, inadequate, insufficient. We pray this morning that our Savior, Jesus Christ, would increase and we will decrease. We pray this morning for what Isaiah wrote about here in verse 15, for the Spirit to be poured upon us from on high. Father, I pray for every man and woman to crave and desire the power of the Spirit in their lives, a power that we don't have, a power that is the gift of God, a power that, Lord, must be craved for, and we must meet the conditions for having that power upon our lives. We pray this morning that we would leave, Lord, first of all, knowing that we've exalted you. Secondly, Lord, that we've been disturbed and we've been moved in our heart about something that's missing in our life. Thirdly, I pray that we be stirred of doing something about what we've heard. Jesus said, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Father, we have ears listening today. Give us understanding and discernment. Help us to be like the king's scribe who hears and then distributes what he hears. Father, we're praying for a mighty work you'll do. Give us a revival now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps growing up, as you entered high school, you may have read the book written by James Hilton entitled The Lost Horizon. The Lost Horizon described this beautiful, enchanting, mythical place called Shangri-La. And Shangri-La has been used as a term to incorporate, if you would, a utopia, a land of peace, a setting of quietness, and a paradise that was indescribable by words. And sometimes you go to a place that's very beautiful, that's tranquil, that is very separated from a lot of the noise and pollutions and things that we, we experience on the urban city, the urban areas, and we might find ourselves saying, this is somewhat of a Shangri-La. This morning as we look at Isaiah 32, we look at a place that excels Shangri-La, a place known as the kingdom of God. We start off in chapter 32, verse 1, Speaking about a king who reigns in righteousness. 
The kingdom of Jesus Christ is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of rest, a kingdom where the Spirit of God is poured out from on high. In each of our chapters in our recent study, beginning with chapter 28, Isaiah started a series of woes. These woes were against Judah and their capital city, Jerusalem. God had pronounced all his woes against the cities and nations that were bothersome and troublesome to Judah. But now God has turned his attention upon his people because while God is dealing with the heathen nations, it's his people that he's concerned about. I remind you this morning, brother and sister in Christ, while God is concerned about this world, and John 3.16 tells us that. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but of everlasting life. I remind you that God is even more concerned about his people. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about me. He's concerned about this church age. He's concerned that when he comes, that we'll be found faithful. He's concerned that even right now, that we don't find ourselves drifting off, getting down, down into a ship somewhere, and being sideways in our life. He doesn't want us to be found sleeping. He wants to be children of the day, not acting as children of the night. He wants us to be living in a spirit of revival at all times. We find here in chapter 32, he, he takes a break from the series of woes that he's given. And from this break, he brings us to, first of all, the millennium kingdom. And the millennial kingdom is something that Isaiah, perhaps, of all the writers of Scripture, spends a lot of time presenting to us. He gives us a very colorful picture of the millennium, a very colorful picture of the 1,000-year reign of Christ. That millennium follows the great tribulation period. It, come, it, it, it begins and initiates itself when Jesus comes back on his second coming here, touches the earth, does judgment against the nations that are against him, and establishes his kingdom under it. It's a wonderful, wonderful time. And as we look at chapter 32 here, it's what Jesus said we should pray for, his kingdom comes. This morning we're encouraged that God has a plan for his people that enables us to experience the privileges of his grace because that's what the kingdom of God is about, the privileges of his grace. But we don't have to wait to the millennium to experience that. Even right now as we'll study chapter 32, there's something for us to gain from that. I want you to see three things this morning from chapter 32. Three things that are encouraging, three things that exhort us, three things that will help make us better people. The first thing you'll notice if you go to verse 1 is we see the Christ dominion or the Christ kingdom. The Christ dominion or the Christ kingdom. Chapter 32, verse 1 starts off not with woe, but it gets our attention by looking to the future. He says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. A kingdom consists of two groups of people, a king and his subjects. And here in chapter 32, verse 1, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the announcement about his kingdom, and you and me, his people. A kingdom where a king shall reign in righteousness and his people shall rule in judgment. The king is regent, and interesting enough, the Lord has privileged us to be co-regents with him during that time. Notice this kingdom or dominion is one that is, that is ruled by righteousness. Now that's important. The Lord Jesus Christ is known as the Lord our righteousness. The Hebrew name for him is Jehovah Sidkenu. Sidkenu means righteous. Jesus is a righteous king, a righteous judge. In contrasting the kingdom of God in the future as compared to earthly kingdoms, it is a kingdom Ruled not by corruption, but by righteousness. Not ruled by political dealings, but purity. Not dealing, not ruled by people who have hearts that are hardened and seeking their own agenda, but a heart, that, a, a kingdom that is ruled by the holiness of God. His reign will be a correct reign. His reign will be a perfect reign. Over in Isaiah chapter 2, he tells us some things about that. Let me just read a couple verses to you real quickly this morning. Or chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, 
and faithless the girdle of his reins. It'll be an unprecedented time of peace. The Bible says the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. It says later on that the sucking child shall play on the hole of the ass, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. He says later on about this great kingdom that the, that the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and none shall to interfere or bother with him there. They shall not hurt that kingdom. It's a wonderful kingdom. It's a holy kingdom. It's a righteous kingdom. We thank God this morning that we'll be part of that kingdom. We worry about, you know, we get concerned during the election times about new presidents, uh, turnovers of new congresses and things of like that. But I, I think we can be encouraged this morning that the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be one that will be correct. It will be one ruled by his righteousness. There will be correct balances and weights. There will be nothing corrupt, nothing impartial, nothing unfair, nothing out of balance about the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes to reign, everything will be as it should be. It will be a kingdom that's righteous. But notice something else. This kingdom will be one that is refreshing. Look at verse 2. We see the king in verse 1, but interestingly, God takes some time in verses 2 to 8 to tell us about the people that will rule with them, the princes. That's you and me. He talks about a people that will rule with him, that will identify with our Lord. Notice he says in verse 2 something very encouraging. This kingdom will be one where the people are encouraging and refreshing to one another. Look at verse 2. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. What he's saying there, that the people of that kingdom will be a place where believers will be sought out. And they'll be sought out because they're an encouragement. You know, today you don't know if you say something to somebody, they'll be offended. You don't know if you'll cross somebody that they're going to be rude. Our, our age right now is characterized by rudeness, disrespect, irreverence, unkindness, cruelty, uncouthness. Men look down upon other men. Women look down upon other women and vice versa. And yet this time in verse 2 is said, it'll be a time when believers will be a place of refuge. There'll be a cover from the tempest, from the storm. In other words, people that are going through storms can find their refuge in God's people. You know, that speaks volumes to you and me this morning, that as we come out of this pandemic, as we minister for our Lord, we ought to be a people that are refreshing and encouraging to people in spite of all these things. Paul spoke about believers, uh, those who were refreshing to him. He spoke about a man by the name of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, he said, as it was like a breath of fresh air to him. He spoke about two people, the household of Stephanus and the household of Fortunatus, who were encouraging and refreshing to him. And then notice in verse 3. He says, the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that shall hear shall hearken. He was talking about that in the future time. No one will have difficulty being able to see. No one will have difficulty being able to hear. And he's talking about the spiritual things of God. You know, sometimes we look at things and we try to understand and decipher from that. Is it, do, we, do we really see it? Do we really see the vision? Do we really see what God's talking about there? Do we really understand? But he said during that millennial time, it'll be a time where we can understand that. And I want to encourage you this morning, it is not difficult for us to understand it. God can open our eyes. Our prayer should be every day, open thou my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We ought to pray every morning that God, open our ears that we can hear and understand the things of God. Then he talks about in verse 4, the heart also of the rash shall understand and knowledge, uh, understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammer shall be ready to speak plainly. Here's, here's what he's saying. There are some that are just very hasty and they're impatient and they have a tendency to just uh, move, they, they have a tendency to get angry very quickly. And he says, the heart but those who are quick-tempered, the heart of those who are impatient, they shall stop and understand knowledge. Instead of being hasty, they'll understand it. And you know what? That, that kingdom of God during that time of his reign will be a time when people just take their time. They're not in a hurry. They're, they realize that God is not in a hurry, and they let God work in their hearts. And then he says later on in verse 4, It'll be a place where there's communication instead of people not understanding, instead of people trying to find the right words to say or saying the wrong things, that people are able to communicate well with one another. May I remind us this morning, brother and sister Christ, the kingdom of God lives inside of you and me. And as the kingdom of God lives inside of you and me, we need to experience and disperse words that are encouraging, words that build up, words of kindness, not words that are evil. We ought to be able to 
Be patient with one another in the spirit of meekness, restoring one another in the, in the, in the things of God. And then he talks about, in verses 5 and 6 and 7, about the people that are foolish and vile, that they, know, that they no more will get prominence in things, but basically they will turn, and their hearts will be torn towards God. And then he says something else in verse 8 that I thought was very, very encouraging. As we learn how to differentiate ourselves from the foolish and differentiate evil from wrong, he says, but the liberal devises liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. And what he was saying there, that the, that the millennial kingdom we characterize by a spirit of great generosity. Liberal's not talking about politics. Liberal's not talking about your tendency to be to the left of things. He's talking about a heart and a spirit of generosity. Look at it again. But the liberal devises liberal things, and by liberal things shall be stand. You know what he's saying? During that millennial period, God's people will be looking for opportunities to give. They'll be looking for opportunities to share. They'll be looking for opportunities to do more. And that ought to be characteristic of what we're doing. You know what he's saying there in that verse? He's saying the same thing Jesus said over that, that Paul quoted in, in, in Acts chapter 20. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Give and it shall be given unto you. And so this morning we realize that that kingdom, that Christ's dominion, is one that is righteous and one that's refreshing. But notice the second thing this morning. We're encouraged by the future. We're encouraged that God will, is always on his throne. We're encouraged that Jesus wins at the end. He's winning now and he wins at the end. But Isaiah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes a turn in verse 9. And in verse 9, he brings us back to, or brings them back to where they were at. He brings them back to their current time. Things contemporaneous to what they're doing. Things that are very relevant to right now and then. And we see not just the Christ dominion, but he calls our attention to what is even current today, to what he calls the careless disciples. And he wants us to be reminded that we look forward to a better than Shangri-La. But during this time, as we think about right now, before the Lord comes, how will the Lord find us? How does the Lord see us today? And he speaks about these careless disciples, and he makes mention verses 9 and 11 about these women who are careless. Now, he was pointing to the women because basically uh, they were at ease about a lot of things, but I think it could be said that not just the women, but the men. Look what he says here. Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear to my speech. Verses 9, 10, 11, three straight times. He uses that adjective, careless, to describe the day and age in which Isaiah was living in. Israel had been conquered when this was written. Israel had been taken. Samaria was taken down. People were taken captive. It was destroyed. It was no longer a nation. Assyria now had their eyes and they were making their movement towards Jerusalem. Not long after this was written, the water supply would be affected. The food supply in the outlying lower cities beneath Jerusalem was being cut off. The only thing they had was whatever they were able to grow inside the city itself, which wasn't much. And while they were barricading themselves and they were thinking about their fortresses, God was saying to the men and women there inside Jerusalem, he said, you need to rise up. You need to recognize that you are careless. You are indifferent. You're complacent. You're apathetic. You're not really paying attention to what's really going on with yourself and with the way things are going. You see, they were comfortable the way things were at, and they had no desire for changing. I fear this morning that COVID-19 has caused so many of us to be so sheltered in place We've gotten comfortable with being distanced from people. We've gotten comfortable by not stretching ourselves. We are living by fear and not by faith. We're afraid to come to church. We're afraid to participate in the things of God and reaching out. And we just get to this place that in a few more months, we become COVID-19 people in the sense that we're just, we're indifferent about things. And he's saying here to these Groups of people here, 
He calls them careless daughters, careless women, and careless ones. He's saying you've gone to the place where your city's about ready to be attacked, and you don't even see the danger there. Brother and sister Christ, I remind you this morning, in just a few, a couple of months here, in a few short weeks, it's election time. And the election will determine the leadership balance of our country and what's going to go down. And right now, as we look at things unfolding in our country, as we see, as, at least from the way the media portrays it, it doesn't look very good. These people here, they were not moved or motivated that the Assyrians were gathering around their city. They had no excitement or enthusiasm. They were okay being status quo. They were neither hot nor cold. They were, they were at the place where he just said, you're careless. You don't really care. It doesn't really bother you. It's kind of like, who cares? We're fine. We're fortified. I'm safe behind my closed doors. It doesn't really matter. I'm keeping myself safe. I've got my mask on. I've got my door closed. I'm being social distanced. But let's be careful that we're so social distanced that we don't become spiritually distant from God. And so watch what happens here. As he goes through this, he tells us some of the consequences that goes on when carelessness sips in our way. When we're careless, notice what he says here in verse, in verse, uh, verse 15, excuse me, verse, uh, verse uh, 9. He says, when we're careless, we're not listening. When we're careless, we let down our guard and we're vulnerable to attack. When we're careless, according to verse 10, we're not giving, we're not giving heed to the time. He said, many days and years shall ye be troubled. We don't even realize time is slipping by us. When we're careless, we tend to not have a fear of God. When we're careless, we lose conviction if we're not praying. We lose conviction if we're not reading our Bible. We lose conviction about church, and we don't have that spirit that Asaph had, that a day in your courts is better than a thousand, and I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than anything else. When we're careless, we, we tend uh, to just not care about witnessing and uh, winning people to Christ. When we're careless, we're not moved to be fishers of men. We're not even moved by the fact that people are dying and going to hell. When we're careless, notice what he says here. Thorns and briars pop up. Look what he says in verse 13 and 14. He says, upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about a slothful man. And the slugger is slothful. He just lets thorns and briars grow up. And he doesn't really care about how it scatters around his home. And, and that's what's happening there. They weren't paying attention to their landscape. And he used the scripture, thorns and briars were going up. He said uh, they were going around the houses of joy in the joyous city. He says palaces were being forsaken in verse 14. The multitude of the city was being forsaken. He said it was a place that people just to really give heed to these things. And when carelessness sets in, we don't realize it, but the fields have no harvest, and where no one is willing to be in their place. Do you care? Do you care about your soul? Do you care about your family? Do you care about your church? care about our cities? Do you care about the fact that the world is changing right now? It's getting set up and ready for what could be the coming of the great tribulation very soon? Do you care that we're meeting in cars and not meeting under the roof of a building? Do you care that missions still must go on? I'm just saying this morning that there were these careless disciples while he talked about the millennium and the dominion of Christ. There were disciples that were careless. So what do you do? Is there an antidote? Is there a remedy when carelessness sets in? There's a spirit of indifference that we just, we don't care. And there is. There is. Notice verse 15. Because we see a compelling demonstration you see, this morning, the careless disciple speaks about the day and age we live in, according to Revelation chapter 3. It's called the, the age of the Laodicean, where we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. When the Bible says we're blind and poor and we're naked, and when a church is not bothered, we're not motivated. We're not moved. What we need is what verses 15 to 20 give us. We need to be in a spirit of revival. 
We need to be in a spirit like the church was in Acts chapter 2. We're in a Pentecost movement where the Holy Spirit can be poured upon us from on high. Look at it. It's verse 15, he says, verse 14, leaning into it, he says, because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, the forts and towers shall be for dens forever, a joy of wild asses, a pasture flock. Isaiah's writing this in verse 14, and there's an urgency, there's a concern. And he says in verse 15, until the Spirit, the Spirit of God he's speaking about there, until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high. God is not saying His Spirit be poured upon them or spirit, His Spirit be poured upon just me. He's talking about His Spirit be poured upon us. Do you get it this morning? God's will, God's desire is that every one of His children, everyone who professes that they're born again and saved, knows and experiences and craves and hungers and thirsts for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. A desire that's beyond us. A supernatural filling where he has all of us and we have all of him. Until the Spirit be poured upon us, God wants to pour out the power of God on our lives. That power which is greater than COVID-19. That power which is greater than whatever antidote they have for it. That power that is greater than our fears and our unbelief and our skepticism and our doubts. I want to see some things this morning about this because as we look at verse 15, it's looking at two things. One, it's looking forward to Joel 2.28 when Joel speaks about during that millennium time when the Spirit of God we poured upon his people. But it was also looking before that to Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God is promised by the Lord Jesus Christ as well, would be poured upon his church, and they would experience the power of God for the church age. I want you to see some things this morning, because I, I really believe as we close today, we must give some time and attention to what he refers here to, this compelling demonstration, the pouring out of the Spirit of God. First of all, there's a command. In Ephesians 5.18, there's a command that the Lord gives. In fact, it's two commands. He says in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, first of all, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit immediately indwells you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. He is the earnest of our inheritance or the down payment of our future redemption. In other words, this, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Right now, everyone here today who's saved, the Spirit of God lives inside of you.